welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Writers Toolshed. I'm your host, Richie Belling, and today I am absolutely delighted to be joined by one of the world's best-selling fantasy authors, but it's someone that you may not have heard of before. It's India's fastest-selling author of all time, Amish Tripathi. Amish has found tremendous success in India. Now he's bringing his brilliant books to the West, his wonderful series of books, the Ramchandra series, um, have been published by HarperCollins in the UK, um, all available at the moment. So if you want to dive into something unique, original and fresh, you're going to absolutely love it. I've been absolutely devouring these books, um, which are Amish's retelling of one of India's um, most epic ancient stories. The Ramayana predates the Odyssey, Beowulf, it's thousands of years old, and Amish has done a wonderful job of giving his, giving his own take, but introducing really interesting things in there that we're going to talk about. Generally, one of the most honest chats about writing I've had. Amish provides some really deep and insightful points on creating characters and how to tackle challenging topics in writing. And Amish is also very honest and open about his challenges when it comes to writing. So I genuinely hope that you're going to enjoy it. Uh, Before we get to it, just a quick reminder that if you haven't already done so, to follow or subscribe to the show. We're doing loads more on YouTube now. So if you want to head over there, you can find lots of snippets, different lengths of videos, playlists on like history and psychology. So if you like a more visual experience, then head over to YouTube. If you'd like to support us, one of the best ways you can do that is by sharing the show with anyone you think may be interested or even just a quick share on social media. Also, giving the show a rating or a review helps us massively. I think we were nearly at 150 ratings on Spotify now. I think you have to do that through the Spotify mobile app. So thank you, everyone who has shared that. I think you can also leave comments now as well on Spotify. Um, so yeah, anything that you'd like to share or any requests for episode topics or anything like that, please do get in touch. And um, if you want to learn even more about writing fantasy or just writing in general, then check out Patreon. We've got writing classes, books, loads of guides. Just published a guide on the passive voice, which is a real thorn in the side for many writers. You can also join our writing community through that too. We've got about half a dozen writing groups which are meeting weekly, um, if not bi-weekly. Small groups of, say, four, five, six people and basically what a lot of writers want and need to help them progress and polish their stories and get them ready to send to publishers and agents. So if you would like to join one of them writing groups, then head over to Patreon and you can learn more there. I'm thrilled to welcome to the Toolshed, India's fastest-selling author of all time, with over six and a half million books in print, Amish Tripathi. Amish, welcome. Thanks, thanks, Richie. Absolute pleasure being here. Thank you. Oh, and thank I love you. that poster, man, on your wall. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who can't see it, well, it's a podcast, so uh, it's a it's a picture of Rohan. I'll put it on Instagram if you're interested in looking. But thank you so much for joining me. It it sounds like. You're an incredibly busy guy. Um, not only do you, you do you work as a diplomat, so I can imagine that's quite a full-on job. But you you're one of like the the biggest selling authors in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a workaholic, so, <laughs> so I, guess, I guess it's good for me. <laughs> yeah. I do well, little else. I do little else besides work. Uh, I know. Well, it's uh, if you get so much satisfaction out of it, then it doesn't feel like work, does it? 
you know, Richie, actually, it's, I know it sounds like a cliche, but if you actually do what you love, you, you always have the energy, man. Yeah. Um, you no, know, I'm, and I, my books, for example, I, I did my first two books while I was still at my previous job. I used to be a banker. I was a banker for 14 years. Mm. And I'll apologize for that. I know most people hate bankers. <laughs> but in my defense, I'm a former banker. Not a banker. Yeah. <laughs> but I wrote my first two books along with my job. So I used yeah. to write, uh, you know, most of my first book uh, was written during my office commutes, actually. I used to write on the backseat of my car. Oh, nice. Um, I'm a workaholic, yeah. Boring, yeah. boring guy. <laughs> All right. You got to get things done, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> the, the boring guys get shit done. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. And speaking of getting things done, you've got a new book out, um, The War of Lanka. Mm. So, War of Lanka is uh, the fourth book of uh, the Ramchandra series, which is my interpretation of the Ramayana. So, those of your readers who don't know, for over 1.5 billion, maybe even 2 billion uh, people in the Indian subcontinent and Southeast Asia, the Ramayana is the greatest epic story ever told, right? So it's, yeah. it's a story that goes back thousands and thousands of years, uh, far, far earlier than uh, Zeus or Apollo stories, even earlier yeah. than Pharaonic Egypt, right? That's amazing. Um, and the stories are alive till today. Yeah. And uh, uh, so, I mean, Lord Ram, who's the hero of the Ramayana, is still worshipped to this day. His wife, Goddess Sita, is still worshipped to this day. And the main villain, quote-unquote, uh, in the story, Ravan, uh, is uh, still considered to this day in many parts of India, Southeast Asia, as the greatest villain ever. Uh, <laughs> and so my Ramchandra series is an interpretation of the Ramayana. So I don't follow the traditional texts. I have yeah. read a little bit. I guess for the, for the Indian youth and Southeast Asian youth, yeah? Yeah. Well, I think... Uh... Well, I, before we were recording this, I mentioned that you, I was watching an, an interview that you were doing um, with India Today and you were getting grilled. Um, <laughs> there's no better way you to You are trying to get, grill me like that. You are getting grilled. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were quite um, sort of holding in on a point that because you were sort of writing your version or your interpretation of like these sort of classic Hindu tales and characters. Mm -hmm. Did you sort of anticipate any kind of like negative reaction to that? Because that, that's what I sort of, they, they, I kind of felt like they were challenging you because you'd interpreted like Sita, for example, like she's, she's like a warrior, isn't she, in your story? And I understand like in, in some, some interpretations of Sita that she's more like sort of uh, passive. And mm. um, how did you, Sort of, did you did, was that a consideration before you when you were writing it that it could uh, ruffle a few feathers? No, it's a good point, Richie, because in a way, it's like if 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 someone was writing a story on Thor, and imagine if the worshippers of Thor were still here, yeah, or if you were making the movie on Troy, and the worshippers of Apollo were still around, then that scene which Achilles does in Troy, where he he hits the you know the the idol the the statue of of Apollo if you remember just yeah. outside the temple if you've seen that movie yeah that would obviously be controversial right but the worshippers of Thor and Apollo aren't around the worshippers of Lord Ram Goddess Sita are still here but yeah this is one of the points I made in that India Today interview as well and I, I think I'll probably say the same thing to you I'm 
I have been in this uh, trade for 12 years now. Yeah. I've, 10 books have been published. And seriously, I would suggest to you or to any of your uh, listeners, Google my name and see if you can find even one controversy around my name. Yeah. Not find anything. And that to me is the proof not of any special skill of mine. It is actually proof of uh, how Indians approach things. Yeah. See, we are the only pre-Bronze Age culture that is still alive, India. All other pre-Bronze Age cultures, Pharaonic Egypt, uh, Gilgamesh, Mesopotamia, uh, they're all dead. They're museum pieces now. And even later cultures like the, you know, like the the pagan Vikings or the Celts indeed, you know, from... Yeah. Uh, uh, sadly, they're all museum pieces now, but we are still here, uh, India. The only pre-Bronze Age culture. We still chant hymns that were composed 8,000 years ago. We still worship gods, you know, who our ancestors worshipped 6,000, 7,000 years ago. Yeah. And part of the Indian way of life, we are in a way, and we don't call ourselves that, but in a way, I guess we would be called pagans, right? Uh, the the Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, because we are the ancient way. Right? Yeah. Um, and in our way, there is no concept of one truth. And that anyone who doesn't agree with this one truth nice. will burn in hell for eternity. We don't have those concepts. Yeah. There's uh, no uh, tolerance. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm not no criticizing the, yeah. you know, that there's a different path of one truth. I'm not, that's a different way. It's just that in our way, there is no concept of one truth. There's yeah. this lovely Sanskrit line, Ekam Sat Vipra Bauda Vadanti, that it's from the most ancient scripture, the Rig Veda. It translates as truth is one. But the wise speak it as many, right? Yeah. So, if you actually write our ancient truths with a different perspective, as long as you do it with respect, yeah, there's actually never any controversy. And you'll find that there are many who have done it with respect. You'll find no controversies around them. Yeah. And there are people who have done it with disrespect, and you'll yeah. find controversies around them. You know. And the key thing is, look, you can. When you read a book, you can just sense it. Has the guy written it with respect or disrespect? You can just sense yeah. it. You don't need to be told. That's a brilliant um, piece of advice. Yeah. If, just, for anyone who's just like thinking about like tackling something that they're passionate about, but they're uncertain whether they, sh they should or they shouldn't, like just that piece of advice there is just invaluable. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, if I, if I, it's not my religion, but if I speak of, Christianity or Islam or Judaism, I will always speak with respect. So even if I'm giving some feedback, I've never had any controversy because I, even if there's feedback for my own religion, yeah. I speak with respect. There's this lovely, you know, thing that I think we've forgotten in the modern day, the value of good manners and speaking yeah. with respect. And if you speak with good manners and respect, you'll be surprised how much the other person will be willing to listen to you. But yeah. today I notice in an argument or even if someone wants to say something, it's not that you want the other guy to listen to you. You, It's more about you want to humiliate the other guy. You want to win the debate. Yeah. Very uh, adversarial, isn't it? Yeah. And I I find that, sadly, I mean, I'm just, I, I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but I find that in the West, in most of your TV channels, everything, and sadly it's it has conflict, come... isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's come, sadly, into uh, the more elite parts of India, the parts that are more westernized, like 
you know the interview that you saw of india today that that yeah. interview was in english you know so it yeah, was a very yeah. part of india who who have also become extremely adversarial it's yeah. it's it's not uh, it's the kafa it's the capitalist way i suppose that sort of mentality to like put like step on someone's back to to reach up another rung of the ladder like it's it's i hate it it uh, really it really upsets me <laughs> deeply <laughs> um, but you sort of stuck in it aren't you and you get you get sort of i don't know it's it is a trap and i uh, i sort of realized that from a very early age like you've got things like student student loans so then you have to pay this you you, you become trapped in this capitalist web of debt and chasing money and stuff like that and it really it 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 saddens my soul mm. um but there's not much like you say unless you sort of move <laughs> completely just give it all you think is to find balance richie in fact that's all my books are essentially centered around philosophies that i want to convey right yeah. so i'm not i'm not saying that you have to swing to the other extreme and there's nobility in poverty no i mean india has seen a lot of poverty yeah uh, yeah it's it sucks it's terrible but if you swing to the other extreme where everything is about money that's not good either right? no you have to balance. find balance, balance uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. in uh, in in everything another you know wonderful sanskrit line i won't tell you the original it's ati sarvatra varjait i don't worry, i'll translate for you it's it comes from our ancestors it says extremism of any kind should be avoided nice of any kind don't yeah. go to any extreme divinity is usually in balance so i'm not going to say you know be poor and you know there's nobility in that no of course not you need money to you know you have bills to pay you have you know you have to take care of your parents you have to take care of your family you have to take care of your responsibilities so be responsible but yeah. don't become so obsessed by it that you know that uh, like work shouldn't just be about earning money for you, you should truly enjoy it man you know? most definitely it yeah. doesn't feel like work yeah and is that that's bringing it back to writing is that yeah. something that you've always wanted to do and it's something that has never felt like work uh <laughs> you know my uh if you asked my school or college friends yeah you know their first reaction on seeing me usually and and they'll say it in hindi in a much more crude hindi is our language the my <laughs> language and they'll say it in a much more crude way they'll say that tell us the truth who's actually written those books <laughs> 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 because when i was young i showed no signs of being creative right i was i was kind of completely academically oriented uh, i used to do well in academics uh, i did my bsc in mathematics i did an mba uh, uh, you know joined banking for 14 years reasonably well paid job my last job was at a senior management committee member so i was following the traditional path because i come from from a very humble background you know yeah. so there's no question of being irresponsible with career choices and i was very active in sports as well boxing gymnastics those kind of i have a slightly crooked nose it's an old boxing nice. injury but i never did anything creative so you know my first book immortals of meluha which was released in 2010 you'll find it hard to believe it's the first piece of fiction i ever wrote in my life <laughs> nice. seriously i'd written nothing before that not even a short story in school nothing i used to read a lot i was always a voracious reader yeah but uh, i never thought i'd be a writer which is why i love writing so much it, it feels like a blessing even today i can't explain where it comes from it just comes yeah 
actually like, feels like a blessing. Like a gift that you never knew you had. <laughs> and yeah. I don't, I don't know what I did to deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so is uh, you, you just go to show like how many you, you sold six and a half, over six and a half million books. So it's <laughs> like an incredible inf- impact that you've had on so many people. Oh, thanks. Um, and it's like it, I understand that it was um, you were originally going to self-publish your first book. Is that right? In fact, I did self-publish my yeah, first book. Yeah. Uh, so it was rejected by every publisher it was sent to. And I stopped counting after some 20 rejections. Yeah. You know, because uh, what my... I, and I got some pretty detailed feedback from, you know, from some of the publishers who rejected it. You know, one of them had told me your book is a guaranteed flop. Uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Are they still in business? <laughs> <laughs> and... And, you know, the guy gave me pretty detailed feedback for why it's a guaranteed flop. So first he said, your book is too long, right? It's yeah. uh, around 400, 500 pages. And in those days, you know, the kind of books that were sold in India, which were bestsellers, would be campus romance novels, which were normally 100 pages, 120 pages. So he said, it's too yeah. long. And he said, second, you've chosen a subject that's kind of serious because the youth aren't really interested in religion. Then he said that your storytelling skills are very good. It's a very fast-paced story. Yeah. Right? But you keep wanting to get into these philosophy discussions every third, fourth chapter. Right? And and I kid you not, one of the publishers actually told me this, that if you want the youth to read it, you have to dumb it down. Can you imagine? They actually think yeah. this of their own customers. Right? So they told me, no, if you want the youth to read it, you have to dumb it down. They can't understand all these philosophies. I'm like, what nonsense is this? So, I mean, actually, all of them kind of rejected it. Uh, one person was willing to publish, but he told me that I have to remove what he called the Gyan sessions. It's a very derogatory way of saying all these philo- philosophy discussions, every second, third chapter. Right? Yeah. Uh, I said, no, I'm not removing that. That's the purpose of the book, right? It's not just... And, and if you if you ask me... You know, the books which truly last for decades are are not just airhead stories. They actually have deeper meaning. They actually have philosophy discussions like Lord of the Rings. Like, yeah. you, know, you, you can actually sit and discuss what they mean. What those, And that's what makes it last, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I'm not you take saying away that, from the book. Yeah, and I'm not saying we don't like fluffy stuff. You know, I mean, I, I love Bollywood movies. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and Bollywood movies can be accused of many things. Being high IQ, <laughs> they can't be accused of that. <laughs> but I enjoy that. But I enjoy, you know, uh, watching thought-provoking Akira Kurosawa movies as well. And why can't one person do both? Right? Yeah. And so I actually self-published my first book. And I'm telling you, most of my readers are actually the youth. Right? Yeah. And at the lit face, at events that I have, Normally, the youth are the ones who ask me the most intelligent questions, right? Uh, I notice the elder people will go into, oh, you put this part of the story from this text, which was written 2000 years ago. They go into things like that. Whereas the youth will go into what the actual purpose is. You you spoke of this philosophy on violence. Is this what you were trying to say? And this is my interpretation. So this thing that the youth are dumb is not true, man. No, no. Not at all. It's because and, they're, they're not given the chance like, look, to read books can, like this. Yeah, they can enjoy a night at the pub. That doesn't mean they want to be d- dumb all the time. Right? No. You can have different parts to your character. 
Definitely, yeah. Like yeah. when I, we used to go to the pub and talk about philosophical philosophical things, like you can, like you say, you can and drink you and, and do philosophy. And <laughs> that is a bias, and it's sad if a publisher has this bias about. I know. Yeah. I suppose they're very driven by money, aren't they? And they're just sort of what what the market market i don't know it's just you lose a lot don't you like you say and the reason why your books are so successful and why i'm so excited to read them is because i feel like i'm going to learn something i'm going to take it away and it's going to change your life in some way and that's what you want from books and the books that i love most are the ones that i've done that yeah and and see learning something new doesn't mean it has to be a boring textbook you can have fun while doing it as well yeah but only if there's some depth will you actually want to keep going back to that book. Will you want to actually talk about it with your friends? Yeah. I think that's, and it doesn't matter whether you agree with my philosophies. That doesn't matter. I should at least provoke some thinking in you. That's all. Definitely. I, so, that, I, I think that's my job as an author. Definitely, yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. So how do you achieve this then? Because I think it is a quite a tricky thing for writers to do, so it would be really interesting to hear about your process for approaching this. Look, there are two parts to it. One is to have enough thoughts and philosophies to think about. So for that, I think you have to read a lot. I read a lot. I read at least five, six books per month, and I've been reading at that pace for decades. And my family, everyone reads a lot, right? I read yeah. in both English and Hindi. Uh, Hindi is... Uh, is one of the major Indian languages, or perhaps the most major Indian yeah. language. And I like talking to a lot of people. I notice that, you know, when you actually talk and more importantly listen to different points of view. So one of the things I try and do is try and meet people who are from a different background than the one I'm from. Yeah. Because if you're just listening to those who reinforce your existing point of view, you're not learning anything. No, no. And you remember those ruts, right? You get stuck in a rut, actually. And Definitely. the only way you can get out of a rut is actually hearing a different point of view. So even on Twitter, for example, I like to follow people who I disagree with. That's the only way I'll grow, right? Yeah. I like to read the books of those I might think, no, nah, I don't really agree with him. But if he's a scholar, he or she is a scholar, I still want to read that book because then I learn something. Right. Yeah. And for all you know, maybe he'll change my mind. He or she will change my mind. Right. Uh, so you have to try and expose yourself to as many different backgrounds as you can in your own selfish interest. Right. Yeah. Provided that chap, you know, is if he's if he or she is speaking to you, is, is speaking with basic manners. I mean, if a if a guy is gonna, you know, be bigoted with me, then I don't need to listen to the chap. Right. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I like to hear different points of view. That builds your philosophical kind of bank, if you will. Then this has to be converted into a story, right? And the idea of the story is to convey that philosophy. Dad, I've got to tell you honestly, Richie, that's that's a mystery, man. I don't know. How <laughs> <laughs> it 
just happens yeah. somehow <laughs> you know i i'm telling you i open the laptop and there's there's actually a parallel universe that opens up i've spoken of it many times and i know some people may laugh at this i genuinely don't care this is actually the way it happens with me it's like this parallel universe opens up and i just record what i see and in many yeah. ways that parallel universe is more real to me than our world uh, because in our world i can't hear what you're thinking right i can only hear the words you speak not the yeah. words that you're thinking in that parallel universe i can hear the characters thoughts i yeah. can feel their emotions i'm like a fly on the wall but much more than a fly on the wall i kid you not i can actually see it yeah. and then i describe what i see that's amazing uh, maybe which is why my books appear so visual a lot of critics readers tell me my books appear very visual yeah it's really i get that actually, yeah is this because very vivid. i am actually describing what i see it's they don't come to me as words they come to me as kind of real life and i describe what i see that's a brilliant way to look at it i can, I can relate to that yeah um yeah it's like you say i was someone like a bit like you no interest in writing younger but read a lot and then sort of fell into it later in life and just absolutely loved it and i i don't really have much technical understanding of writing and stuff oh. like that i've just sort of feel my way through it and like you say transfer the images in your mind onto the paper yeah. and into other people's minds and i don't know it just seems feels quite natural i suppose doesn't it i still in some ways it's kind of like the easiest thing to do yeah but in some ways which it's like the most difficult thing to do because frankly i don't understand how it happens yeah and i don't understand why i've been given this blessing then you got to understand that somewhere in the back of my mind there's always this fear shit this blessing might one day just go away because yeah. i don't know why it has come to me so i don't know why it will be taken from me whenever it's taken right yeah uh, so i have to get as many of my books out while it's still flowing right yeah yeah which is why i like to work so hard because it's you know there was no there was no time in my childhood there was not is nothing when i showed a build up of these skills like it suddenly just started right yeah Of 2005, and I I can't explain how it started. I'm seeing these stories. Yeah, so which is why I love it so much. Also, in some ways, it's like it feels like really a spiritual experience. Uh, but in some ways, there's always that fear at the back of the mind. God knows when it will stop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I better write as much as I can before it yeah. stops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of your stories, then what about the War of Lanka? Because this sounds like a Uh, the the way you've built up to it i really sort of admire because it's it's three there's the three preceding books are from three separate characters aren't they and it's their stories are linear and it all builds up into this one final book yeah so yeah tell tell us all about see, it this is have you seen roshamon akira kurosawa's movie no i've not seen yeah, it. i've heard of it though yeah oh you should see so this You know, there's actually a term called Rashomon effect, right? Yeah. So it's a classic, man. Akira Kurosawa, one of the finest filmmakers ever. Um, so you see the same story, and it's kind of you know revealed in parts from three different perspectives: the perspective of the samurai, perspective of his wife, and the perspective of the robber, right? And you are so convinced by each person's point of view when you are seeing it. Yeah. Right. Uh, and by the end you don't know what the truth is right 
and then which gives rise to a thought in your mind that what is the truth right there are facts which are you know uh, which are uh, unambiguous but our interpretation of those facts or stringing together of those facts into a story is completely by our uh, bias by our uh, you know background by our perspective right so yeah. um you know the british will see winston churchill in a particular way as they should i don't grasp them that indians will see winston churchill in a very different way right yeah. because same set of facts but you know but different backgrounds different perspectives so i thought that the thing with the ramayana the traditional ramayana it essentially goes with the perspective of lord ram the god yeah. right the very word ramayana translates as the journey of ram but there are three main characters who drive this story forward one is of course lord ram the god and then his wife goddess uh, sita and then the quote unquote villain ravan right and i thought that if we can get the perspectives of all three characters from their birth to the incident which brings these three characters together you yeah. can understand why they are the way they are right? yeah uh and then you get a much deeper understanding of why the story is going the way it's going right uh so hence ram sign of ekshwaku is from the birth of lord ram to the kidnapping of goddess sita sita warrior of mithila is from her birth to her kidnapping and ravan enemy of arvartha is from the birth of ravan to when he kidnaps goddess sita and then war of lanka is from that common incident onwards when sita is kidnapped by ravan and ram has to fight a war to free her so war yeah. of lanka you understood all three previous stories and war of lanka is obviously it's it's a war so there's a lot of violence in there <laughs> uh, stylized nice. violence <laughs> yeah but Two big uh, essentially you get a deeper understanding of why the story is happening the way it's happening yeah and what we've done what hapo has done very uh, nicely out of us you know you can read the book as an independent book and the summary of the first three books is actually there on the hapo website and they're sharing it with us after that yeah so you can get straight in yeah but yeah i think the way you've written it though like you when i can imagine by the time you read in the fourth book you care about each character so much it must just be a bit torturous because you don't know who to root for <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but that's what makes it's you really enjoy the idea. story much more right yeah you got to care about the characters yeah you don't have to actually like the character you may hate the character also but you have to care about the character you have yeah. to care you have to be intrigued by that character then you learn something from that character yeah have you got like any ravan as a character the quote unquote villain why he fascinates me so much he's not just a thug right anyone can be a thug okay and of course he's he's an extremely violent man very short tempered and massive anger management issues massive ego but he's also a scholar right he's a brilliant scholar he's yeah. a brilliant musician he's a good administrator so his kingdom is actually run very well right but he has no control over his desires i mean if he wants a woman he wants a woman right if he wants if he's drinking away he'll keep drinking away right and his capability is what makes him a very fascinating character he's not just a thug right yeah and then you need a heroes as you know even more powerful than him to be able to defeat uh, ravan i think that's what makes the story fascinating to me yeah now it's it's brilliant i love switching the perspectives to the other side 
um, because it's it's not always like I, the stories that fa- interest me the most is when the bad guy is not quite bad. Yeah, it's just a matter of perspective, isn't it? And and it's and so look effective. at yeah, and even Ravan the way he became. If you understand why he became the way he became, yeah, then even though you know his actions aren't right, you can understand why he got there. Right? Yeah, and I think you know, like one of the things which got me, and this was. Actually, one of my younger readers had told me this: that both the god Ram and the villain Ravan, both of them suffered greatly through their lives. Right? Both of them suffered, yeah. but their reaction to their suffering was very different. Ram, the more he suffered, the more noble he became. You know, his attitude was, you know, I will give to the world what the world didn't give to me. Right? If the world was unfair to me, I will be even more fair to the world. Right? Yeah. And that's what made him different. And Ravan's entire thing was the world is unfair to me. I will freaking burn the world down. <laughs> and what what my younger reader told me is actually both of them suffer. It's their reaction to their suffering which makes them who they are. And it was such a wise statement. This and that kid must have been a college kid. Yeah. And he said, "Ki who doesn't suffer in this world? All of us suffer, right? So which means it's in our hands. Yeah, how we react to our suffering. Who escapes grief? All of us. All of us have sadness. Who doesn't? Yeah." yeah. The way we react to it defines the kind of lives we will lead. And it's an insightful thing to say. Yeah, it's a brilliant point. Yeah, it's a great idea for your characters as well. So, how do you, have you been able? Have you got any sort of tips to share that uh, for creating characters? Uh, you have such brilliant success. <laughs> have you got any <laughs> insights? You know, I because because actually I can't give you know a logical flow for how it comes. The story just kind of open up. One of the things I've seen in life is uh, you actually, in your heart, have to believe these characters are real, and and you can't convince yourself it has to actually kind of. It's like you can't convince yourself to be in love. You're either in love or you're not in love, right? There's yeah. You, there's no logical flow, right? You take these five steps and you'll fall in love. It doesn't doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. It's the same thing with characters. I think if you actually believe they are real. Then they will open up and tell you more about them. Yeah. Uh, and and then you kind of record what you see. That's the first thing. Second thing, one of the things I've seen is every person I meet is in some way material for some or the other character, right? Because what makes a character real? Some tick that stays in your mind. Some, you know. So I keep trying to observe people, and you know. And, just keep it in the back of my mind and it goes in some character which makes a character real like let me give you an example there was uh, uh there was this uh, this friend of mine uh, who i knew in my banking days yeah. and she had come to so i'm talking about you know maybe i don't know 15 15 years ago no uh, yeah 16 16 years ago right yeah and she had come to talk to me for some advice some property dispute she was having in her family Right, and the point wasn't the property dispute. The point was when she was talking to me. Whenever she would get really troubled, yeah. you know, she had a she had a, a a chain, a gold chain, and she yeah. had a symbol of her god out here, right? And whenever she would get really, or uh, you know, hanging as a pendant, whenever yeah. she would get really troubled, she would just hold a pendant, okay. And yeah. if she got more trouble, she'd hold it very tightly, and she she wouldn't even notice it that she she would just keep on talking. And yeah. when she calmed down, she would just kind of let her hand go and keep yeah. it down. 
And I know why that remained in the back of my mind. And then when I was writing Ravan, okay, uh, this take came back, right? That Ravan holds a pendant of two fingers, essentially, the bones of two fingers, yeah. of someone very important, right? And whenever he gets Ravan, the villain, whenever he gets really troubled, he just, his hand instinctively just goes up to the pendant of those two fingers, which to anyone else appears very macabre, right? It's like the yeah. fingers. And he just holds it tightly, right? And when he comes down, it just comes down. Now, this is a minor take, but what it does for you as a reader makes the guy more real, right? It's, yeah. So one of the things I always advise to authors, keep observing, keep listening. You have to be like a sponge. Don't just be in your room. Go out, meet people. Every character you meet makes your character more real. But more importantly, actually in your mind, you have to believe that these characters actually exist in a parallel universe. Then they'll start opening themselves to you. That's very impressive advice. Thank you very much for sharing. Taking more of a natural approach, isn't it? Like, let the world inspire. Yeah. And um but I, I, the amount of characters like exactly that. I used to live right by a park, mm. and you'd always just like meet people, chat to them for a little bit, and you would get character ideas and yeah, just listen. And it's amazing, like some some of the people you meet, you like they would be a brilliant character in the story, and you want to go and write a story for them. <laughs> <laughs> I get what you mean, man. Yeah. And, you know, and the only way you can do this, no, is that if an if as an author you don't have. This arrogance that I am the creator, you know, it's all my genius. It's you actually have that have to have that humility that actually it's the world that's inspiring you. It's yeah. what you're reading that's inspiring you. It's uh, the divine that's blessing you. Have that humility. Kind of write with the humility of a witness, not yeah. with the arrogance of a creator. Right? Definitely, uh, yeah. And just keep watching, listening, and it just comes. It'll come to you. Yeah. Do you try and include or like sort of highlight things in your in your stories that you're passionate about? Because I know you mentioned before about um, colonialism, and I've, I, when I was hmm. sort of reading around this um, before the our interview, it was something that came up, um, and it's something I really admire because not not enough people really speak about the truth of colonialism, hmm. and especially in this country. Like I was hmm. brought up. And everyone was going, oh, the grand old days of the empire. And I mean, you've, you've lived over here for a few years and it's just like characters like Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just like, and it, it, I found it really frustrating because it's just not the truth. Yeah. Um, and so have you found yourself like wanting to shed like the, the realities of these kind of things in your stories? Yeah, Richie, you know, I mean, look, there are things which drive me, things which I feel passionately about. like. Um, like women's rights, for example, or I have gay characters, you know, in one of my books. I have, uh, you know, speaking against casteism, you yeah. know, for example. Uh, but uh, yes, colonialism as well, because uh, and the experience of those who suffered colonialism was really terrible. Yeah. So, uh, uh, tens of millions of Indians died in yeah. uh, famines that were largely man-made. You know, yeah. by the colonial rulers. Uh, they were, especially like my, my family from Ireland, and that was a, a man-made Ireland famine. suffered the potato famine. Yeah. Uh, you know, so in fact, uh, I don't know how many Irish are aware, Ireland actually, many Irish actually supported the Indian freedom struggle, by the way. Yeah. They saw it as a common 
uh, thing. Now, uh, it's not just that. I mean, Angus Madison, who was a British economic historian, had recorded and his data showed that for most of human history, actually India was actually the among the actually the wealthiest uh, land on earth. For more, for all of the first millennium common era, India contributed around 35% of the world's GDP. To give you a sense of perspective, today, US contributes 25% of the world's GDP. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, till as late as the 17th century, uh, India contributed around 24% of the world's GDP. 17th century, not too far yeah. back. By the time the uh, British Raj was over, India's contribution to global GDP was 2%. That's yeah. Uh, it was Just getting sucked out of the country. Uh, like I said, tens of millions died in man-made uh, famines. Various things happened. Terrible things happened. Um, but one of the things I say on this, and I say this as a very proud Indian, that we must speak the truth of what happened, but there is no need for any hatred. Today, I'll tell you what I mean. That today's British have not done anything. You know, so yeah. there's no need to hate. To, that that is wrong. This concept, I I'm not, I I, I'm not a supporter of the concept of community guilt or historical guilt. That's unfair. Yeah. But swinging to the other extreme, where I say no, no, nothing happened, and the Raj was something wonderful. No, that's not true. It was terrible. Right. It was terrible for those of us who suffered. And we must speak the truth of it. But like I was saying at the beginning, right? In with manners and with politeness, there's no need to, uh, you know, engender hatred against someone today. Yeah. Just because that person happens to be the grandson or the great grandson or the great great grandson of someone who may have done something that, that's you know the the sins of the father should not be visited upon the son. That's that's not right. Yeah. But we must speak the truth of it. So essentially, what I'm trying to say once again is what I said earlier. Find balance. Speak the truth of what happened. We can't live in this make-believe world that the empire was something good. No, it wasn't. It was terrible. Yeah, uh, definitely. It may have been good for the for the UK. It was terrible for us in India. We suffered in, and many parts world. Of world, in yeah. Africa, everywhere else. Um, yeah. But there is no need to hate someone today for it. That is wrong. Uh, you know, so essentially finding that balance, I think, is extremely critical. Yeah. That's a brilliant explanation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do you, uh, this is a question I always ask authors when they come on, is do you ever or do you still encounter challenges when you write? Oh, man, I'm, I'm kind of lucky. Uh, uh, you know, I just open the laptop and it just starts. Yeah. And I've written some 10 books in 12 years and 10 reasonably, I mean, they, they tend, and you can read them fast. They're not, I hope they're not long reads, but they are 400, 500 pages. So they are like how fantasy books would be. Uh, there was only once in my life where I faced uh, a block that was for a period of two, three months. I was, uh, I've had a very difficult uh, time in my personal life the last seven, eight years. Things are kind of stabilizing now. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and the career kept going better and better, but on the personal life, there were loads of challenges. I lost, uh, uh, people in my family, in my immediate family, some very tragically, I was very disturbed. 
Oh, and we are, we are a very close knit family, so it was uh, it was very uh, very disturbing, very troubling. Uh, yeah. And there was this one phase when it was probably the lowest point of my life, uh, uh, and uh, uh, I was writing Ravan at that time. That is the book prior to War of Lanka. And Ravan, as a book itself, is quite dark because the character is dark. Uh, and i happen to be at my lowest phase in my personal life at that time and for one two months the writing was like i would open the laptop and nothing would come yeah and i was like shit even this has gone now how much worse can life get you know because for me at that real you know i you can't imagine what i was going through at that time i was yeah uh, uh, and uh, you know if even this blessing is gone like shit then what's the point of living um and how actually i came out of it was uh, you know through a song my my twin brother and i and you know how men become when we are too depressed to do anything we just you know we don't want our brain to think anything yeah. so ashish my twin brother and i we were just watching tv and randomly just surfing this is how i guess you know this is how men become <laughs> just <laughs> even in watching anything just and both of us were just you know just not in a frame of mind to do anything yeah and you just randomly surfing and he stopped at there was one song which suddenly just came up and i told lash 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 just stop and i heard that uh, song for some reason it connected and i downloaded it on my phone yeah um and i went down for a walk that evening uh, to the park close to, to my building and uh, my app the music app how it works is if you don't switch on a particular playlist it just starts with whichever song you downloaded last yeah which was the song that i just downloaded it was a hindi song and uh, the first 10 bars it was just music uh i started listening and i just started crying yeah and i wouldn't even listen to the full song i was just listening to that beginning again and again and again and crying continuously and walking in that park for an hour yeah and like the next 3 4 chapters just came down in a rush uh, yeah it's like the source of unblocking the river yeah, isn't it yes and then and then i immediately went back up and i wrote that i think it's probably among the best chapters i've ever written in my life it was Yeah, but it was Ravan also at his angriest at that time, and I I still can't hear that song without uh, tearing up. So I I yeah. don't like listen to that song now. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's amazing how like different creative things can just inspire in, in yeah. all different ways, isn't it? Yeah, and there's no logic to it, no Richie. That's I think that's a I think that's what makes create. Uh, you know, if you're doing anything creative, that's what. Uh, makes it so wonderful it's actually it's not about the others it's about giving your soul some peace yeah and that's what creativity does uh, definitely yeah like the, the therapeutic side to it in some ways yeah yeah, yeah. amazing <laughs> uh, last question to finish on um have you got any tips for anyone who's thinking about writing a book for the first time i am both a left brain and right brain kind of guy right so i i believe in being creative and pragmatic at the same like i said i come from a humble background yeah. so i have so take my advice with that background right because i have tons of blessings from my parents but i don't have any property from my parents <laughs> <laughs> i had to be responsible and build everything from my own yeah um so the first thing that i always say is when you are writing 
write with your heart don't care two hoots about what readers will think critics will think uh you know whether you'll get famous whether you'll get money because if your aim is to make money or become famous there are other much easier routes trust yeah. me than writing don't do this for that right it has to be the voice of your soul it has to be something you're doing for yourself yeah right that has to be the first thing this has to be pure right uh which brings me to the second connected point that you can keep your writing pure but something needs to pay the bills right and uh, uh if you can't pay the bills you'll be forced to compromise on your writing right yeah uh, to pay the bills so have a job on the side there's no dishonor in that i wrote my first two books along with my job the banking job yeah. uh, and 24 hours is really a hell of a lot stop wasting time on other shit Uh, <laughs> uh you know uh, there's 24 hours is really a lot you can find the time to hold down a job and write i did that i used to write yeah. on the back seat of my car there's there's enough time don't waste time on other uh, on other stuff then the third thing is uh once you've written your book don't think that it sells by itself it doesn't work that way uh you have to be for the want of a better term almost a schizophrenic when you're writing your book be completely pure to your soul when you are promoting become a practical pragmatic marketing guy yeah right? uh, you have to know how to promote it nothing sells by itself uh, yeah. and don't expect you know others to do it for you why should they a publisher has hundreds of other books to push as well i mean uh, uh, so you got to fight for your attention right even you know as someone as one of my bosses had told me once even a mother only gives food to the child when he starts crying right yeah Otherwise, exactly, even your yeah. and your mother who loves you so much, she will also yeah. ignore you if you're not crying. So, so <laughs> I don't mean literally crying, but you have to push your case. It's right? it, yeah. If you are not doing that, it's not going to sell by itself. So, essentially, three different things: writing, be completely creative, care to hoots about anyone else, have a job, be pragmatic, use your left brain at that time, and third, make sure you market properly. Nothing sells by itself. Very fantastic tips. Bit of everything, like you say, creative, pragmatic, <laughs> and getting <Excellent>. results. Uh, <laughs> I mean, thank you so much. It's been one of the best chats I've ever had. I think on this podcast, it's um, it's been very honest, very open, and um, I really appreciate it. So, thank you very much. Thanks, Ajay. Thoroughly enjoyed this. We must stay in touch. Most definitely, yeah. I'd love to have you back on because I'm sure we've got lots more to talk about. Um, if anyone would like to find out more about you and your books, um, where's the best place to look? So I am on uh, social media Twitter Facebook uh, Instagram uh, at the rate author amish a u t h o r a m i s h and you can come to my website as well which is also authoramish.com a u t h o r a m m for mango i s h.com Nice I'll put all the links in the description as well um what well, amish thank you so much um and yeah thank you everyone for listening thank you so much amish it was a really brilliant chat and I just loved how honest and open you were in that interview, and I hope listening at home, you, you appreciated that too, and you've learned something new to help and inspire you with your own writing. I've included links in the description if you'd like to learn more about Amish and his brilliant books. Do honestly check out the Ramchandra series. The front cover carries the quote back from the BBC: "Amish is India's Tolkien and Asia's Paolo Coelho," and I have to completely agree. As as Amish discusses in in our chat there, or discussed in our chat, 
there's a lot of philosophical things in there and you feel like you learn something and you take you grow as you read the book you, you take something away and that's the kind of fiction i absolutely love and that's the kind of fiction i love to write um not sure if i always achieve it which is why i always ask Anish for advice there so thank you very much for listening if you enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe or follow to stay up to date with some cracking new episodes we've got coming out in the next few weeks and months and we've been interviewing some fantastic authors we've got an interview coming up with juliette mckenna who has got a fantastic new book coming out in april called the cleaving I also got also got an interview coming up with the Hugo nominated author Daniel Polanski. We've got a two part um, series on magic systems, and we're going to be discussing hard hard magic systems, soft magic systems, and how to create your own. Um, plus, looking at lots of examples from the fantasy genre. And Janina Arndt and Lucy Atkinson from the Faith Fellows podcast will be joining me for them too. So, yeah, be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss any of them. If you really like the show and you'd like us to do even more, you can support us by sharing this episode with anyone you think may be interested or on social media. Uh, or give us a rating on Spotify mobile app if you enjoyed that or a review on iTunes. And head over to our Patreon page where you can find lots of writing tips, guides, writing classes, books, interviews, and a little bit of merchandise. Plus, you can also sign up for a tier where you get um, a one-to-one session with myself uh, once a month. So if you've got any stories that you'd like um, a bit of help with, then check out that offer as well. That is all for today. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. We'll be back on the 28th of March with a brand new episode. And until then... Keep on scribbling.